0: Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.
1: Well hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and show number 391 in our weekly series and today is a very special show as we're going to be celebrating 10 years of the Engage for Success movement and we're going to be exploring why, why the UK needs engaged employees now more than ever. So a little bit of an introduction, Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement, and we're the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. Do visit us at engageforsuccess.org to learn more, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. I'm Joe Moffat. I'm one of the regular hosts of Engage for Success Radio. I have a day job as Managing Director of Specialist Agency Woodreed, where we work with clients to help them create high-performing cultures inside their organizations. But I've been a regular host of the radio show for nearly eight years now. Um, I sit on the core team of the movement and also lead the Partnerships Hub. So it's a real privilege to welcome our guests um, today, our very special guests, which are who um, David McLeod and Nita Clark, co founders of Engage for Success, and as I said at the start, we're celebrating ten years uh, since the launch of the movement, and um, we're going to be reflecting on that we're going to be reflecting on why employee engagement remains central not only to organisational success but also the health uh, and well-being and individual success of of people who work inside our businesses and organisations and as i say why the uk needs engaged employees more, more than ever so as i say very pleased to welcome david and Nita to the show i know you've both been on in the past, so you're your old hands at this, but this is a very special one, isn't it, today? So welcome. Uh hello David. Hello Nita. Hello. Hi. Good to have you with us. I wonder if we can um start with you, Nita. We we we've been talking a lot about how it's ten years since the launch of Engage for Success and certainly my um my kind of uh idea in my brain is that it began with a breakfast meeting. At Ten Downing Street, but I'm very ha- hazy about what happened before that. So I wonder if you could kick us off um, with a little bit of a, an overview. How did it all come about? Uh, how did it all begin? Can you just take us back uh, and share a little I bit? I can. Of but story? firstly, can
2: I say thank you so much for <clears throat> asking David and myself on the show. We're always absolutely thrilled, and how wonderful! It's been going for so long; it hardly seems possible. Uh, and it's a, it's a real Part of our So, you know, we're absolutely thrilled to be joining you. So, the background is this. My personal background is that I was a senior trade union official with Unison 1, Tony Blair asked me to go and work for him at number 10, as his advisor on trade unions and employment issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there until Tony left in 2007, and I began to be very interested in this topic of employee engagement, which was sort of out there at the time. And it seemed to me that the government itself needed to be really thinking about um, the whole issue of of people at work for two reasons. Firstly, because the government is directly or indirectly a huge employer. And so if understandings about how to make work better, how to to engage people at work, then the government really needed to think about them as an employer. The second reason I was particularly interested is because I – there's always been a productivity problem in the UK. And
0: it seemed to me that it
2: was possible that one of the reasons behind this productivity gap and lag might be because people, when the best was not being got out of people at once, and they weren't being managed uh, in such a way as to enable them to bring their full selves, their full capabilities, their full confidence to work. So I went to the then Secretary of State, Peter Sanderson, and I said, look, I think we should we should look at this and he asked me to work with very active in the cabinet office and had written a book on this uh, of engagement and we started in 2008 and we spent a year going around the country listening to people looking at the experience of organisations and um, we wrote a report which was published in 2009 called Engaging for Success I remember it well the, the report basically um um you know looked at the importance of and case studied and looked at what organizations were doing
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um what then happened a very unusual thing happened actually which was that normally when you write a report for one government and a new government comes in it goes back to year zero and everything else that the previous year did, uh kind of you know falls and just gets completely forgotten about what hmm. happened was that the incoming coalition government expressed a great deal of interest in our report, which was still, you know, which was still there. And they asked us to, um, to come and, uh, and talk to them about how we could take this work forward. The short was that the minister of the time, David Cameron, um, called together a meeting of three senior leaders across the public and private sector with um, David and myself. And we had a launch event in Downing Street in 2011. And from that, all really we have undertaken since has really flowed from that. And David can, can talk a, uh, you know, a lot more about that launch event and what happened subsequently. Right.
1: Excellent. So before David does that, so you and you and David uh, were put together or did you yep. know each other before no, you started?
2: No, no we were, we were put together. And you know, sometimes uh, you have to go on Tinder to find your <laughs> 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 in fact with me and David, I mean I can remember we first I finished up at a... he had been speaking and we just introduced ourselves and I can honestly say in all these years you know, we have not only never had a crossword, but it's almost like we've grown one brain. It's a bit scary, actually. It's, it's, it's a, a very powerful, powerful thing. thing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilarious, but it's, I mean, extremely satisfying. You know. So, do you, f- you do know. you finish? Do you find yourself finishing
1: each other's sentences? Then?
2: Oh you God, say? yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I, I can I can stop in the middle of the sentence, and David can pick it up. and so, um, vice versa. Excellent.
1: So oh, that, that's almost like a perfect cue for David to do exactly that Nita. So, so let's, let's pick that up then. We, we, we have the, uh, the coalition government, we have uh, the, the breakfast um, meeting at Downing Street. Have we got to that yet? I think we possibly have. Um, so yeah. David, tell us a little bit more about, about the, the, the task force and, and how this sort of started to really gain traction.
0: Well, thanks very much, Joe, and hi everybody. And yes, an absolute privilege in all sorts of ways to uh, to have this opportunity to talk to you all, and uh, and this privilege to work with uh, work with Nita. I do remember last week saying, Nita, I've just got one issue. Uh, and it was actually rather a random issue. And as Nita said, I think I know what it is and told me what it was, <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, which, is, uh,
0: which is amazing. But, but slightly more seriously, it is also very interesting that um, Nita who had a, a very, very different um, lofty background to mine. Mine was in the sort of engine room of running businesses, uh, right down in the guts, as it were, and, and how we came from different places but have arrived at exactly the same spot, which we're going to uh, we're going to talk about about the importance of it and what makes it work and so on. So, which is which is really fantastic. What a privilege! How lucky am I? Um, so picking up the theme then, um, with with the momentum that was created through the things that uh, we talked about, and maybe some people on this call were a part of that because it was very much a a collective effort writing the report and setting up various groups, but we did decide very early on um, that there was an important decision to take, which was, were we going to try and raise lots of money uh, and spend it on uh, employees and buildings and so on, or could we take a very different approach and say, well, if there's so much um, importance being attached to this topic, wouldn't it be better if our raw material wasn't money, it was energy, it was people's belief? Um, And if we could harness that, and also make it practical by bringing together a task force of some, I think some 40 or 50 people, later in the end, wasn't it? Of all sorts of different walks, public, private, not-for-profit, who could share their experiences, guide us, insp- not us, guide us all, inspire us all uh, to create mm. this, uh, this movement. But all underpinned, therefore, through a voluntarist approach. Almost no money working through the system. Uh, occasionally, you need money for this and that. I remember one meeting, uh, we needed some money to finish off some case studies, £10,000. And one of the people in the meeting said, I'll pay for that. I-, I think they were one of the wealthier people involved. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that happened. But as well. Can I just
1: stop you a minute, a minute there? Sorry, David, to interrupt. It's um, just to sort of ask you, how did, how did you find the task force? Was that was
0: that connections or was it was it the, government the task force was a, a number of a number of reasons, but um, of course one major route was in writing the report. We would garnered, as Nita said, uh, a lot of very senior CEO sponsors who came to Number Ten for the launch event, and of mm-hmm. course it was very easy to write to them and say uh, thank you for sponsoring it. Uh, perhaps your uh, perhaps someone in your organisation. Typically, but not always by any means, your head of HR might like to join a task mm-hmm. force to help steer and I develop think. and make your commitment, OCEO, uh, more practical uh, in the ways that I described a second ago. So yeah. m- many came through that, but many came through the years' work that many of us did, and Nita and I were lucky enough to lead, in writing the report. We really talked to just about everyone we, could, uh, we thought might have a point of view and in mm-hmm. so doing, we built up really a hell of a network. And through those two yeah. routes, uh, it wasn't difficult to put a task force uh, together.
1: Together, excellent. Okay, sorry, I, I interrupted you. You were in full flow telling us about the voluntarist approach.
0: Well, I think I, I think I've probably I think I've probably done that now. Okay. Okay,
1: so um, excellent. So, so Nita, can I can I come back to you? And, and you know, we, we're talking here. We have a, an overarching theme of ten years on, and it's ten years on. Um, it's a it's a nice uh, period of celebration, a bit of a retrospective, looking back at ten years on from that initial launch. And we're going to be celebrating ten years on uh, right the way up until sort of end of next year, actually, when we celebrate ten years on from the launch of the original. Uh, website uh, that, that really kind of um, gave the movement its its home uh, as a sort of hub for all of that voluntary activity. Um, so we're going to be looking back. And, uh, but of course, 10 years on is also about looking forward, which I want to come on to uh, a little later in the programme. So can we talk retrospectively a little bit and just talk about what, what progress do you believe we've seen in the last 10 years, Nita?
2: I mean, I think if we're honest, when David and I wrote the report, it's all a bit seen in a sort of lens, if you know what I mean. Oh, this is all lovely. It's all lovely to do with, yes, you know, it's important, but but basically, uh, you know, what, what really matters is the numbers and, you know, the performance and so on. And, mm-hmm. and it's a nice to do. I don't think, I, now, I, I think the position has really changed in the sense that... Barely an organization that doesn't choose, issues, you know, considered at board level or at, uh, in the public sector, you know, at organizational level. People, I think, recognize that this stuff matters because this stuff is about culture and this stuff is about people. I think they know that. I think mm-hmm. the, the issue now is that people are still a bit stuck about what to do. Um, so that I think it has moved in salience and so for example you now have the financial reporting council requiring um a FTSE 350s to report at employee voice uh yes. you're now in, you're now in the position where every NHS hospital their staff survey results and their engagement scores are looked at nationally and where they're in the bottom file they're flagged up as causes for concern so people know that this stuff matters well they're still mm. as a uh, because it is challenging, uh, it, it, it's not an easy option uh, engagement. I mean, it's definitely—it's not. You can't snap your fingers and put a fruit, you know, on Friday. You don't hmm. expect people to be engaged. I mean, it requires a real, a real depth of, of, of activity. So I think that's where we are now, and I think the next ten years—it's absolutely about getting people to understand what they have to do, what actions they need. To Uh, Right, to further the engagement agenda. And hopefully David will, or one of us will talk a bit about those four enablers, which I think will help organisations look at their current practice and where they need to get to.
1: Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the employee voice is clearly one of those four enablers. And I'll I'll ask David to touch on those in a minute. Actually, if I may, because your your signal's dropping a little bit. Nita, to, um, unfortunately, so we're losing a little bit of you from time to time, and so and I don't want I don't want that to. Uh, impact on things. So, um, but it's interesting, isn't it, employee voice being one of those four enablers, who would have thought 10 years ago that that would have been a, a requirement of, of FTSE companies to report on, on that? I mean, that's unheard of, isn't it, really? If we'd have asked you 10 years ago if that would have happened, um, you yes, would have been so very agree. surprised, I suspect.
2: Yeah, but, um, I think we do have to recognise that progress, absolutely. So.
1: Yeah, David. Could I just ask you very, very briefly just to mention the four enablers, um, and and then I, um, I'll I'll move on to another question to you, if I may.
0: Okay. Well, look, um, uh, very briefly, and um, as as we all know, there's a, a great, rich theme of evidence and issues and case studies covering these four enablers on the uh, on the website. But just yes. to remind some and uh, and perhaps introduce it to others. Uh, four things are present in organisations that do this well, we found time and time and time again. And these are these four. First of all, there is a story that employees can hold in their minds about where the organisation started, about where it is today, what's and all, and about where it aspires to go in the future. Uh, something preferably I can relate my job to, something I can hold in my mind, something that's much more about a story, brings alive what it is we're seeking, uh, we're seeking to do. Um, preferably have a hand in shaping that story, but certainly a hand in how to implement uh, that future to which we uh, aspire. The, the second thing that we found um, was we all have uh, a manager. Just about wherever we are in the organization, you have a boss. And that manager, your boss, does a few things very well in these engaged organizations and we're clear about what success will look like in our role we are treated not as a human resource the worst two words of the management lexicon we're treated as a human being and that involves a range of things like Can I stay, uh, can I come earlier on a Thursday because I've got child issues and stay an hour later? Uh, Can I be helped to develop my career in a particular way? Can you help me um, get over a thing I find particularly difficult? Maybe analysis point or speaking in public or whatever else. But you sense you are really clocked by your boss. You have a bigger relationship from which you offer more of your capability. And also you're being coached constantly. Uh, You're being reinforced the things you do well, and uh, you're, you're, you're being asked to address any behavioural things that are getting in the way. The third thing we found is that there's employee voice suffuses the organisation, uh, that, um, that it's a respectful voice, we listen to each other, um, and, and therefore with this voice throughout the organisation you spot market opportunities. When they're very small that are going wrong, because they go wrong all the time, but you spot them when they're small and you deal with them. So it's also got this huge benefit of being the cheapest smoke alarm you can ever have. If you've got voice, uh, then you don't end up gaming the emissions test, so you don't end up with the old yeah. selling in the North Sea or whatever else. And finally, yeah. um, there's, um, uh, we called it integrity, but it's quite a simple thought. The five or six values that organisations typically have on the wall, the question is, do they reflect in, do they feel consistent with, the behaviours I observe amongst my bosses and my peers. And if those behaviours overlap with the values, you get trust and integrity. And if they don't, you get distrust. And if it's distrustful, nothing works. Everything takes forever and you get all the productivity problems uh, that, we, uh, that we know about.
1: Okay, thank you for that. And as, we, as you quite rightly say, there's a lot more richness around those on on the website uh, and uh, and in the original reports as well. So do please visit that. Um, I'm keen to move on quickly because the time is, is ticking, um, and I want to kind of conflate two two thoughts really. The, the impact of COVID, Nita, on all of yeah, this. Yeah. Um, what what has been that impact, and and is it that in your mind that has made employee engagement why we you know why we need engaged employees now more than ever has come back to our topic is it is it
2: covid that's
1: been that drive
2: well do I, well, I think covid has played a huge part since in the last year we have had a real time experiment in employee engagement there's not an organization in the country that did not rely on its workforce right to pull together to work out how to deal with a challenge uh, and to come through. And mm. you know, if you ever you wanted a demonstration that it's not that people are your best asset in an organization, it's that they're your only asset, I think the last year has demonstrated absolutely clearly. Look at some of the performance and productivity figures in organizations, including those who had to put staff on and those who, you know, staff had to. Suddenly, within a week, work at home. I think it's been an extraordinary story. And just look mm. at how the National Health Service reorganized itself to deal with COVID through it. So I think that COVID has absolutely shown, as I say, in real time, why this whole issue of how you engage your employees and what your relationship with your employees is like has, has really, as I say, it's been the most extraordinary a uh, real-time experiment. And I think a lot of organizations do recognize that. You know, what we do not want uh, is to go back to a situation, all right, where, you, you know, the uh, the damaging forms of command and control and hierarchy and bureaucracy that stifled organizations and that we don't want that to come back. So I think, you know, my view at the moment is incumbent on each organization to really think about how they got through COVID right, and what those lessons are for their culture and for their relationship with their employees. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's been a national tragedy and disaster, but out of this, you know, it may be that we can find a new way of working. And, and I, I hope organizations and individuals and trade unions, you know, um, absolutely seize the moment.
1: Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It, it has been an absolute um, real-time experiment, hasn't it, in, a, in, in, a, in the workplace. So, David, from, from your point of view, are there other pressures, other, other factors that come to bear to really mean that employee engagement is, is now more than ever something that organisations need to think very seriously about? I'm thinking yes. about well, things I mean, like I've... productivity, for example.
0: Well, I think, um, I th- I think uh, Anita's explained how profoundly important the lesson has been that we've just been living through, and that, of course, is building on trends that have been placed for a number of years. And these, these trends really take us to the point where the only way we're going to survive, as Anita's been saying, is survive and thrive, is with um, engaged employees, because the precious bearing down on organizations mean that things are moving so fast, whether it's AI, uh, upending markets, so this is a lovely expression, has your market been Ubered, genetic medicine, robotics, uh, you know, organizations that think that, think that things are settled. Um, Nothing's settled very, very much with, with the, the rise of these new technologies and uh, digital technologies and so on. So you can't ordain things from the center and lay out a strategy anymore. Because all the, the citizens' demands, the customer demands, the changes in technology, the new competitors, the cost pressures, the short-termism we have to deal with, all those pressures mean we've got to be very, very agile to seize opportunities to respond and make a success of them. And coming back up the other way, the other trend that's been building is, in a sense, employee activism. You know, we, we, we're less deferential. Uh, than we used to be Um, and uh, we increasingly demand an open inclusive environment and we want us to be our organizations to be environmentally friendly we want fairness and trust we want to know what it's all about we want to be empowered and this employee activism is really creating pressures coming back up the other way so if you've got the demands of what people want from work you've got the external pressures coming back the other way the only way to cope with this swelling mass is as Lita said really early on, is, our people are the asset that will help us navigate through these uh, through these challenges, given a big Philip um, being focused on being accelerated through what we've learned through uh, COVID.
1: Mm. And, and that then takes us on to say, let's look at the future. We've got five five minutes left, and I, I, if you don't mind, Nita, so I'm going to stick with David because your signal was getting very difficult for for us to hear. But I will come back to you before the end. Don't worry. But David, we seem to be on a cusp. Then we've we've looked back at ten years. We've had the the COVID um, experiences of the last twelve months, and all these new pressures that have already begun to. Come, come, at us, and are inevitably going to start coming even, even faster and even more furiously down the track at us. So, so what's our, what is our vision as a movement for the future? What, what is that brave new world going to look like from your perspective?
0: Well, I'm. Uh, thank you, Joe. I think there's a, a couple of things that um, Nathan and I both say, which is um, uh, the, the whole effort needs to increasingly move uh, from the choir to the congregation. There's a lot of us who, quote, get it, um, but it needs to be much more broad scale. We need to recognize that this is no longer, this is, sorry, this is not a quick fix, uh, engaging your people. It takes effort. It needs sustained effort. We need a real belief underpinning it uh, and so that we move to transformational benefits from through a transformational approach so that. When we're thinking about what we need to do as an organisation, of course we need to continue to think about the numerics of it, the analysis of it, all the quantification required, uh, the resource planning and so on. But we need to have at the same level, not delegated to HR, but at the same level, we must consider how we put in place those four enablers, how we put in place, how we enable our people to own the challenges, to believe in what we're doing, to be as one with all of us, when they're out there with customers, when they're out there innovating. um, We need to have a a revolution in approach which recognizes the humanity that our organizations are, the humanity uh, of people working in workplaces. And if we we get that right, then we recognize that organizations are not just a network of transactions, they're also uh, a human network. And if we get that right, a social network, And um, so the vision for the future is that we take this every bit as seriously as the numeric side and that our attempts to engage are not superficial. And I think Nita said earlier on about uh, Dress Down Fridays, little initiatives like that. It's about a deep seated belief in people and that will give us the agility to perform well, to create productivity and to succeed.
1: And it sounds great, doesn't it? And I'm going to close by asking, uh, first of all, Nita, um, what's going what's the main barrier that's stop, going to stop that from happening? What's the fear? That, what's the risk? What's going to get in the way? Because that sounds a, a brilliant future. So why, um, you know, what might stop it?
2: Well, I think, you know, the, the trouble is that it takes a real, um, a real effort, a real set of thought about, how you run your organizations and so often organizations are just sort of on a tram line and and they run in this way because that's how they run and it requires thought and it requires analysis and and it and a lot of people say to us look i don't want to do all of this because it's like you know i don't know what's going to happen if i try and manage my business different way and it requires trust in people does all of these things that organizations traditionally don't necessarily demonstrate. And, mm. um, you know, that's one of the things we have to do is to explain how it works and why it works. And to look at those exemplars, you know, who showed that, that this can be done. Um, and, and that's hard and it's difficult. And, and that's what the experience of the last 10 years has shown. Okay. That there is yes. no quick fix. This is something that you really, really have to think about engage Mm -hmm. the organization in thinking about it. You know, it's not something like a leader needs to go away and put a sort of wet towel on their head and try and work this out. You know, you need to talk to the organization. What do you want people like working here? You know, what what do you want? How can we go forward together? And that's a very adult sophisticated conversation. And when organizations Mm -hmm. basically treat their people like naughty children, you know, who have got be um sort of you know spied on or observed every hour day in case they go and you know and take half an hour off when they're not supposed to you know it doesn't really fit does it so it's no, just a, real, it doesn't. It should be a real
1: okay thank you nita i'm gonna to have to cut you short there is there anything more you want to add to that david before we close tonight's show
0: no, just get involved. Uh, come and join the here, movement. Here. Bring your questions, bring your answers, bring your energy, and let's get things changed for the better so work Monday mornings are not, not traumas as they are for so many. Excellent.
2: Here, here.
1: Thank you very much. And, and you can find out how to get involved at the website www.engageforsuccess.org search uh, the title of this show uh, in order to read the blog that David and Nita have written in support of this as well Um, so thank you David McLeod, Nita Clark for joining us, thank you for listening to Engage for Success Radio and we'll see you at the same time next week and don't forget you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time, thank you and goodbye
0: Engage for Success Radio Raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's
1: a better way to work.